Welcome to Do We Know Things, a podcast where we examine things we think we know about sex. Content warning. This podcast will include discussions about pregnancy and abortion. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Lisa Don Hamilton, professor of psychology and sex educator. Today on Do We Know Things, what do you need to know about abortion? Abortion is a part of reproductive health care. As a sex educator and feminist, I know how important it is for people to be able to control their reproductive lives. I often talk about sex as being a taboo topic that people avoid discussing, but abortion is talked about even less. This leads to misunderstandings, misconceptions, and stigma around abortion. On this episode of Do We Know Things, we'll talk access to abortion, politics, and the law concerning your right to choose with Tasia Alexopoulos. That's coming up on Do We Know Things. But first, I started doing research into mental health and abortion for this episode when I realized that because there's so much misinformation about abortion, that I really needed an abortion 101 crash course first. Even though abortion is a fundamental part of reproductive freedom, it can be a touchy political subject in parts of Canada and especially the United States. I wanted someone to give an update on the state of abortion and access to abortion in Canada in 2020. And I could think of no better resource than Tasia Alexopoulos of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, or ARC. You'll hear my research on mental health and abortion on the next episode of Do We Know Things. Data from the Canadian Institute of Health Information estimate around 0.1% of women have had abortions in any given year in Canada. And one Canadian study that looked at a cohort of people born in 1959 found that one in three women from that cohort had an abortion by the age of 45. Of course, anyone with a uterus and ovaries is capable of getting pregnant and may require an abortion. But the official stats often just report on women or assume that all of those who have been pregnant identify as women. There's a lot of negative information about abortion that circulates, but one indisputable truth is that access to safe, legal abortions is much safer than childbirth. To learn more about the importance of abortion and the importance of abortion access, I'm joined by Tasia Alexopoulos. Tasia is a trained abortion doula, an abortion educator, and the social media coordinator for ARC. She is currently finishing up her PhD in women's and gender studies, and she is also a badass feminist that I've learned so much from. Welcome to Sia. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you here. So to begin, can you just start by explaining what abortion is and how it works? Abortion is basically the termination of a pregnancy. Um, There are two different methods of terminating a pregnancy, um, surgical abortion and medication abortion. Both methods are safe and effective, and they depend on how far along your pregnancy is, uh, depending on which one you get. Um, So medication abortion um, is exactly that. It's performed using medication. Uh, There's a misconception that there is one pill that you can take um, that will terminate a pregnancy, but in fact, it's a series of of medications. Um, So in Canada, uh, medication abortion is done with mifigimizo, um, and it's possible up to and under nine weeks uh, gestational date. Um, It's a combination of two drugs, Mifepristin uh, to be taken on the day of your abortion, and then misoprostol, which is taken 24 hours later. Um, that's how the that's where the name comes from. So mifepristin is mifepristin um, and misoprostol. Got it. Um, 
so yeah, so the pills are inserted into the cheek of your mouth. You just hold them there, um, and then you take some water, and that's it. Uh, usually when you have a medication abortion, you get a little bit of pain medication, um, but that's just because you're going to have a little bit of cramping, uh, similar to having cramping when you have menstrual cramps. Um, and that occurs as the pregnancy tissue comes out of the uterus. Um, the process, a lot of people describe it as being similar to a miscarriage. Um I'll actually jump in and yeah. mention that for most people know the word miscarriage, but often a miscarriage in medical terminology is called spontaneous abortion. So what we're talking about today are induced abortion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Induced abortion. So, so yeah, um, an abortion is, is, is basically a miscarriage in, in many instances. So in most cases with a medication abortion, uh, your uterus, after you've taken the second dose of, dose of medication, uh, will empty within a couple of hours. Um, but in 35% of cases, it can take several days or weeks um, to complete an abortion. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, you might have to take a second dose of mesoprostol. Um, you may have to return to your medical provider. Um a follow-up exam will confirm that the abortion is complete. Um, if it's not complete, uh, then usually you have a surgical abortion to complete the process. And it's about 1% to 2% of cases that medication abortion isn't complete or fails. Okay. Um, so in Canada, um, medication abortion has been legal since 2017, uh, which isn't very long. Uh, it's been available in other countries uh, for much longer. So, for example, in France, it's been legal and available since 1988. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah, it's been available in many, many, many countries for a very, very long time. Canada really held off for a very long time before legalizing it. Um, when it became legal in 2017, it was also still almost impossible to get for a very long time. Um, nobody had it. Nobody could have it shipped. Um, it was very difficult to, to obtain, even though it was legal. Um, that's changing quite a bit, although, as we'll talk about, it's not changing fast enough. Um, so yeah, in Canada, uh, medical practitioners can prescribe medication abortion, and all pharmacists can dispense it. Um, whether or not a pharmacist will dispense it is another case, and whether or not a doctor will prescribe it is, again, another case. Um, some doctors do not prescribe it, and some pharmacists do not dispense or carry it um, based on, for example, having anti-abortion beliefs, which is more common in Canada than we would like to think. Medication abortion is very safe and fairly effective. Um, in the first year of availability, so from 2017 to 2018, there were 4,253 new prescriptions of Mifigaimiso dispensed, and there was only one self-report of an adverse reaction from the drug. Okay. Um, and that was for heavy bleeding, which is often the case anyway yeah. with a medication abortion. Um, so that's medication abortion. One piece of misinformation that often circulates about medication abortion is that it's Plan B. Oh, yes. And it's not. Uh, plan B is emergency contraception. So if you've had unprotected sex or if a condom breaks or for whatever reason um, you need emergency contraception, Plan B is available and you can take it up to 72 hours um, after unprotected sex. Um Medication abortion will terminate a pregnancy. Emergency contraception does not terminate a pregnancy. Right. So if you already have a fertilized egg implanted in your uterus, plan B is not going to do anything. Yes. If you're already pregnant, plan B is not going to impact that pregnancy. Um, medication abortion will terminate the pregnancy. Um, right. So that's a really big misconception 
that comes up quite often around medication abortion. So the second and more established way to terminate a pregnancy in Canada is surgical abortion. Surgical abortion sounds really scary because it's surgical, um, but in fact, it's not really a surgery. So we're often struggling to find different ways of talking about surgical abortion without using surgery. So some people will say in clinic or in hospital oh, okay. abortion instead of surgical because it does carry a, a kind of scary medicalized weight with it um, when in fact it's 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 quite simple, effective, it's quick. Um, so trying to kind of come up with some less scary language, I think, is, is has been a challenge around surgical abortion. Um, but surgical abortion itself is one of the safest medical procedures available. Um, whether it's in a hospital or in a clinic, um, it's very safe. It's very effective. The mortality rate for surgical abortion is less than one death for every 100,000 abortions. Um, so it's, it's a very, very safe procedure. Um, most abortions or surgical abortions are done using conscious sedation, meaning you're awake. Um, so in uh, pop culture or TV, we often see someone waiting to get an abortion and then they get kind of scrubbed up almost. They get right. into like this full, like, you know, the the paper dress and like the the booties and the little thing over their hair. And then they, they, they get put under. Um, and that's not really the case for most surgical abortions up to a certain gestational date in Canada. So um, usually it's conscious sedation. Um, some painkillers, you'll get antibiotics. Um, and the most common method of surgical abortion is vacuum aspiration or aspiration. Um, and during that procedure, which actually takes less than 10 minutes for the most part, it's very quick, um, the abortion provider or doctor or practitioner gently dilates the cervix, um, and the cervix is the entrance to the uterus, by inserting and removing a series of narrow tapered rods um, just to open the cervix, and then they use a small hollow tube, uh, which is often attached to an aspirator machine, um, to suction out the uterus, so to empty the uterus. Um, the walls of the uterus are gently scraped, sometimes with a loop-shaped instrument called a crit, to ensure that no tissue from the embryo or placenta remains. Um, it's again, I keep saying this, but it's very quick for most people. It's very mm -hmm. fast under 10 minutes. Um, some people self-report mild discomfort. So the same feeling as having menstrual like cramps uh, during the abortion. And some people report feeling absolutely nothing during it. Conscious sedation is really useful because once you're done, you can get up and leave within 30 minutes to an hour. Um, so you're not all like zonked out. Mm -hmm. um, you get a ride from the hospital or clinic. Um, but other than that, like you are pretty alert um, and able to kind of continue on with your day if you need to. Um, and most people return to their normal activities the day after. And some people have to return to normal day act or normal activities the same day, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes you don't have the luxury of taking the day or night off. Some people um, leave the hospital or clinic and are immediately back into their normal lives. Um, so kind of just to sum up, it's not actually a surgery. Um, it's very safe. It's very quick. Um, it does require an ultrasound, and often hospitals or clinics will perform blood work at the same time. Um, so, for example, to check your blood type. Mm -hmm. um, clinics and hospitals can both perform surgical abortions. Um, depending on the province that you're in, um, you can have a surgical abortion up to a specific gestational date. Thank you so much for all that information. I hope that's helpful for people clarifying the differences between medical and surgical abortion and understanding um, yeah, how they work. 
What do you think the issues around abortion are that we need to be concerned about? I think that the number one issue about abortion that we need to be concerned about is access. There are no real verifiable issues regarding the safety or efficacy of abortion um, unless it's criminalized, illegal, or difficult to access. So the major number one concern in Canada is not how abortion impacts people or whether or not it's safe. Um, It's whether or not people can access it. So in Canada, abortion is legal, um, but there are a lot of extra legal barriers in place, and those are I would say the only concern we should have about abortion. Mm -hmm. What are the kinds of things people have to deal with? What sorts of barriers? So concerns about access can be broken up into different categories under kind of just like one umbrella term of access. And those are distance. Mm. So people who are in northern communities, isolated communities, just being like in a rural area, um, even Sackville, New Brunswick is a good example of a, of a place that it might be actually difficult to access an abortion. Um, people may have to travel far distances or long distances um, to visit a provider, um, to access a surgical abortion, to find a pharmacist who will dispense medication, um, or even to see a doctor who, who they trust, right? So distance is a huge issue in Canada. Um, the second access issue is cost. Um, Even if abortion itself is covered, and in Canada, for the most part, surgical and medication abortion are covered, there are a lot of additional expenses that can come up. So things like travel, accommodation, transportation, medication, taking time off work, um, paying for childcare, all of those things add up really quickly. Um, In particular, in places that are rural or isolated. So if you have to travel, then you have to take a day off work or a few days off work. Um, Maybe you have to buy a plane ticket or a bus ticket or take the train for days. Um, If you have small children, what do you do with them? You have to maybe pay for somebody to watch them. Um, So there are a lot of issues of cost associated with abortion, even though the cost of the procedures or the medication themselves are covered. Um, The third one is stigma, of course. Um, Many people report that abortion itself is not traumatic or hard. What's hard or which what causes trauma is the stigma of having to access abortion. And that can mean a lot of different things. So it could mean that um, your family is anti-abortion. And so you're pregnant, you want to get an abortion, and your family is not supportive, and they make it difficult for you, or they make you feel guilty. Um, that can be a real barrier for a lot of people. Um, And it can leave a real lasting effect as well emotionally and physically for folks. Um, So anti-abortion beliefs can can be a huge, huge, huge um, barrier. Um, In small communities, if anti-abortion beliefs are common or the majority, chances are that your local doctor, nurse practitioner, or pharmacist is anti-abortion is actually quite high. So if you're in the community like that and you go to see a doctor and they tell you, no, I'm not going to help you get an abortion. Abortion is murder. That's a barrier to access. Um, Not to mention the fact that they could then maybe tell other people that you're seeking an abortion. Um, Those are all really serious barriers that stem from the stigma around abortion. 
And to be clear, pharmacists, doctors, therapists, et cetera, are not supposed to share confidential information about their patients. Absolutely. But we hear stories of it happening all the time in small towns. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the idea that you you might be in a position where you're you're scared, you're upset, you go to your doctor, you think that you're in a safe place, or at least that it will remain confidential. Um, and what can the fallout from those kinds of um, interactions can be really severe for people. Um sadly, but it is much more common than people think it is. Um, And that goes on to my next point, um, which is anti-abortion organizations and politicians. This is a really major issue when it comes to abortion access in Canada. Um, So this falls into a couple different subcategories. So um, there are a lot of anti-abortion organizations in Canada. So that covers um, places that are like crisis pregnancy centers or what we call CPCs. Um, and those are organizations that have a mission, usually like a religious Christian mission, um, to provide support for people who are seeking abortion um, and give them alternatives and I wish I could air quote that, air quote <laughs> alternatives to abortion. So they are anti-abortion in mission and belief and value. Um, And they will offer things like free diapers, Mm. um, post-abortion counseling, um, support groups, adoption information. But what they won't offer is actual information about abortion. They often explicitly state on their websites that they do not provide information about birth control or contraception. And they're very slick, and they're really well-funded, and they often can be confused very easily for legitimate um, abortion providers, which is really dangerous. Um, So if you Google abortion Moncton, for Mm -hmm. example, if you live in Moncton or the Moncton area, uh, the first results that will come up will not be legitimate abortion providers. They will be um, birthright, for example, or local um, CPCs, and that's— you know, because they pay for search engine optimization, they pay for ads, they do all of this stuff that helps them come up higher in results when people are seeking abortion. And and that can be really, really dangerous for people and can make it difficult to find actual information about abortion. So CPCs are a really, really big barrier. Um, they're also not regulated in Canada. Um, so I could tomorrow start a CPC organization in, you know, Sackville, <laughs> and I could call it live, love, learn. (laughs) And my mission could be to stop people from getting abortions. And I could say, I offer counseling and supplies and resources and that's it. And I could fundraise for that. Um, I could apply for charitable status. I could do all kinds of things and none of it is regulated. Um, So that's a really big, big barrier in Canada. Um, Another subcategory of organizations and politicians is organizations that actually act lobby for changes to policy or law. Um, So there's the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, uh, another organization called We Need a Law, and these organizations are very, very well-funded. They're attached to a lot of large anti-abortion organizations in the United States as well, and they work explicitly to alter laws and policies to make abortion illegal or criminalized in Canada. Um, Those are really 
quite big threats to access in Canada. Um, and what's interesting about those organizations is they're run by quite young people. Um, oh. If you look at the um, a website for either of those organizations, you'll see a lot of photos of, of young adults, young professionals. Um, and so the face of those organizations is quite young, which is interesting. Behind the scenes, I don't really know, but the face of them is is quite young and they present a very like youthful, energetic, we are the, you know, the life-saving generation kind of thing. And it's, so that's quite interesting. Um, and they have lawyers, they have, mm-hmm. you know, lobbyists, they pay people to do this kind of work. Um, whereas at the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, for example, we don't get paid, right? right? <laughs> um, so, so there's that. Um, there are organizations that work on behalf of, of people who have anti-abortion beliefs. So a really big one is, for example, Canadian Physicians for Life. Mm. And Canadian Physicians for Life is an organization for medical practitioners who are anti-abortion or who do not believe in medically assisted dying. Um, usually the focus is on abortion. Um and these organizations, you pay a due and you become a member. They have conferences and events. They have resources. They have a 24-hour hotline where you can call and get legal advice for free. If you're a doctor and you feel your rights are being trampled upon. Um, so again, you can see this kind of um, pretty well-funded, well-oiled machine on the part of anti-abortion organizations. Uh, what's kind of scary about organizations like Canadian Physicians for Life is that they provide resources um, and educational material. And some of the resources that they provide are really not based on medical evidence. Um, For example, they provide a lot of resources on abortion medication, um, sorry, medication abortion reversal. Oh, yes, I've heard about this. Yes, which is this idea that if you can catch someone after they've taken their first dose of medication— and you flood their system with progesterone, then you can reverse the process. It's it's not something that people do. Um, and what often is, what we're seeing is that CPCs um, or other people who run these anti-abortion organizations will have people who claim to provide abortion reversal who are not doctors, um, which is really, really, really scary. And I don't know where they get this medication, but uh, they will often write posts on Facebook, for example, bragging about an abortion reversal that they they participated in that weekend, which could be totally fake. They could be making it up. If it's true, very, very scary. It's, It's a very dangerous process. And by the time somebody gets to the point of taking their medication for an abortion, they've been through, they've had to jump through so many hoops and speak to so many people that it's really unlikely that they're going to change their mind. Right. So this idea that there are people rushing to reverse abortions is this really dangerous misconception that they're spreading. Um, and, you know, an organization for physicians, I think, should not be disseminating medically inaccurate information. Um, but that's what they're doing. It's just quite dangerous. Um, and finally is, of course, anti-choice politicians. Um, in the last election, it was no secret that several large anti-abortion organizations were courting politicians because they wanted to run anti-abortion politicians in the election. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they would post like figures, like we have 50 people signed up to run in the election and their values are anti-abortion or quote unquote Mm -hmm. pro-life. And these politicians can attempt to push through new bills, to change policy and law, um, which is really unlikely to happen 
um, in Canada, it's it's not likely that the law would be changed. Um, but opening up that debate and normalizing anti-abortion beliefs um, can empower people to, to, for example, protest outside of clinics or um, maybe even do anti-abortion violence. So, so seeing people in the mainstream who are really virulently anti-abortion um, and who say really awful things about abortion, I think can really trickle down mm-hmm. um, and cause more anti-abortion sentiment or empower people who already have it or create an atmosphere within which more violence can take place. Um, so those are some of the barriers to access that exist in Canada. That is a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> there are a lot. <laughs> Um, you sort of already touched on this, but just more specifically, how does someone access abortion in Canada? So because there are no legal restrictions to abortion in Canada, it should be as simple as going to your doctor or going to your local abortion clinic and saying, I need an abortion. It should really be quite simple, um, but sadly, it's not It's not as simple as it should be. Um, so there are a lot of different ways to access abortion. Um and I'll go through a few of them. So one of the, if you live in a city, it's really different than if you live in a rural or small town. Um, if you live in Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal, um, there are clinics. There are multiple um, clinics where you can access surgical and medication abortion um, easily and effectively. Um, if you live outside of a city, that's where it gets a little bit trickier. Um, so if you live... I'll keep using Sackville, New Brunswick as an example because that's where I live. Um, But if you live in Sackville, New Brunswick, you can't just go to the hospital to get an abortion here. You... If you have a pro-choice doctor, you could talk to your doctor um, and see if they can, you know, give you some resources or if they can prescribe you medication abortion. Um, But in small towns, again, sometimes people don't feel that they can trust their doctors um, to give them that information. So um, you can Google carefully to find, (laughs) very carefully, to find your nearest abortion clinic um, or medication abortion provider. Google results, as I said earlier, often show anti-choice organizations first. Um, So it's really important to make sure that any organization or clinic that you choose to contact is legitimate. Um, So an abortion provider is going to explicitly state on their website that they provide abortions. Um, A CPC or an anti-choice organization will be vague and they will will not offer abortion. They might offer abortion information, and some of them have changed in recent years to kind of fly under the radar of of certain policy changes um, where they'll actually provide pretty accurate abortion information. Um, But once you get into the door is when they'll start giving you inaccurate um, information or try and convince you not to get an abortion. So it's really important to see on the website that they are an abortion provider. Um, The Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada um, has a list of abortion providers and clinics in Canada and hospitals. So if you find an organization, you find a clinic, um, you can always cross-check it. Um, We have those lists. Action Canada has lists. Um, You know, a lot of folks have these resources. So if you're not sure, just cross-check it. Um, You know, you just go to the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada webpage, and there's, I think it's just on our sideboard, it says sideboard, it says list of clinics and hospitals. Um, 
if you have a family doctor or a nurse practitioner that you have a good relationship and that you trust, you can talk to them about having to access an abortion. Um, a trusted practitioner can direct you to where to access a surgical abortion, and they may be in the position to prescribe you, or sorry, to prescribe you medication abortion if you fit the criteria. Um, even if you, even if you have a pro-choice doctor and they are willing to prescribe you. They might not be able to because, for example, there may not be a pro-choice pharmacist in the area who will right. dispense it. Um, so it is a little bit complicated. Um, and it depends on the province that you're in. So, yes, medication abortion should be – any doctor should be able to prescribe it. Um, in places like BC, for example, a medication abortion provider has to prescribe it. Um, so not just any doctor. Oh, like yeah. they're specifically trained doctors. Yes. Okay. Um, and so we've spoken to doctors in BC who have said, I really want to prescribe medication abortion, but these are all the barriers in my way that have stopped me from from being able to provide it. So sometimes even a doctor with really good intentions um, cannot can be unable to provide access that they want to provide to their patients, which is really, really sad. Um so you can always talk to your doctor. There are a lot of anti-choice doctors in Canada and medical practitioners. Um, so you may have a, a situation in which you think you trust your doctor and you get a surprise. Right, right. You know, which is why it's important to to really think about it and, and think about your relationship with your doctor and what you might do if your doctor does um, reveal that they are anti-choice um, and how that will make you feel. How will you react? Um, what will your next step be? Which are all things we shouldn't have to think about. Right, right. But we do. So, um, so, so those are those are kind of first steps you can take. There are also a lot of not a lot. There are many excellent telephone resources in Canada. Um, so Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights has a confidential, which is important, twenty four hour Canada wide toll free number, and they provide information on reproductive and sexual health and referrals on pregnancy options. So if you have a question, you can call them. Um, it can be about where to get an abortion. It can be about plan B. It can be about anything, and they're there. Um, and that number is 1-888-642-2725. Um, they also have a lot of great information on their website, um, including lists of clinics. Um, there's a new app called Choice Connect, which is really exciting. Um, and this app was developed this year by, by Zeitspace, um, a software development consultancy, and they donated it to Kitchener's Planned Parenthood affiliate um, Shore Center. Okay. Yeah, so that's a really great and new resource. Um, you go, you can do it online or on your phone. And you type in where you are, and they give you your local resources. If you're in BC or the Yukon, you can call SexSense. Uh, free pro-choice, sex positive, and again, confidential service. Um, and they have nurses, counselors, sex educators who offer info and resources on, again, same as Action Canada, sex, sexuality, sexual health, and pregnancy options. Um, they run from Monday to Friday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific time. They're closed on weekends and public holidays. Um, they have an email form on their website, um, but if you want to call them, you can call one 800 739 7367. Um, and they have really, really great folks on the line who have excellent resources um, and can kind of point you to where you need to go in the province. So that's a few different ways that you can access an abortion. I also wanted to mention that is it all provinces and territories that uh, Miffy Guy Mizo is freely available or are there still 
some that you have to pay. So until recently, Saskatchewan and Manitoba and the Northwest Territories were the only areas in Canada that did not cover it completely. Saskatchewan and Manitoba recently changed that policy, in part because of really excellent organizing um, by folks, in particular medical students. Um, so medical students in Manitoba had this really great campaign um, called Make Miffy Free an MB. And they did a letter writing campaign. They had like excellent social media and they put a lot of pressure on the government to commit to funding um, Miffy Guy Miso. Um, so now the only place in Canada that does not cover it fully is the Northwest Territories, I believe. Okay. Um, and abortion as part of healthcare is covered in virtually any place you would get a surgical abortion. It's just part of your medical care. If you have provincial health care, it is included in that. Um, we'll talk about a specific exception to that in New Brunswick in a, in a few minutes. Um, but in general, abortion should be freely available to people who need it. It should be, absolutely. It should be and technically is covered by your provincial Medicare. Um the next question I wanted to ask is about the legal situation in Canada. So we hear so much, even in Canada, about the Roe v. Wade debate in the U.S., but I learned in your abortion support workshop that the legal situation is very different in Canada. Can you tell us a bit about the status of abortion in the law in Canada? So Canada has a pretty unique legal situation as regards abortion, which is very positive. So in Canada, we have no legal regulation of abortion. We are one of the few nations that has zero legal regulations around abortion, and it's really, really good thing. Um, so this doesn't mean that you just, just walk into a clinic at nine months pregnant and say <laughs> that you want an abortion, which anti-abortion groups say all the time. Uh, that's not the case. It is medically regulated as a medical procedure should be. Right. By medical professionals. By medical professionals who understand medical procedures. There should be be very little legal intervention in medical procedures. Um, and in Canada, we're very, very lucky. So what that means kind of in kind of just like basic terms is if you get an abortion in Canada, you will not be criminalized or punished for it, which seems pretty reasonable. Indeed. Right? Um, other situations... Um, for example, in Ireland until recently, uh, if you accessed an abortion, it was illegal and you would be legally punished for it. Right. So we have no such legal regulation in Canada, which is, is really, really, really important. The procedure is regulated, like I said, um, but the legal status is based on the 1988 Morgenthaler decision, um, which is kind of Canada's Roe v. Wade. Um, and that's named for Dr. Henry Morgenthaler, who was an abortion provider, um, was an abortion provider for a very, very long time and really, really radicalized and revolutionized abortion law in Canada by testing the laws repeatedly, mm -hmm. by refusing to stop providing abortions even when the law told him to stop, even when he went to jail for it. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, he got arrested a <laughs> few times. He got arrested constantly. Yeah. So basically, um, just by testing the law, eventually... It went to, um, yes, in 1998, the Supreme Court of Canada um, decided in the Morgenthaler decision that the country's abortion law was unconstitutional. And it essentially breached a person's right to security of the person, which is guaranteed under Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms. In 1969, the Criminal Law Amendment Act decriminalized abortion to an extent. Um, so since 1969, um, 
abortion was decriminalized. So a lot of other things were included in the criminal law um, amendment. It was an omnibus bill, so it means it it um, dealt with many different things, including homosexuality and contraception. Okay. Um, so abortion was part of this, and so it decriminalized abortion um, and made it possible to get an abortion at a hospital, but you had to get the approval of a therapeutic abortion committee, which was a committee comprised of three doctors. So you would write to the committee and you would say, I need an abortion. And they would say, no, <laughs> or they would say, yes. Right. Um, the committee would have to certify that the pregnancy would endanger the life or health of the pregnant woman. And that was the language of the time right. um, in order to qualify for an abortion. Um, so it still was hinging on the idea that your pregnancy would kill you, then you could get an abortion. Um, the term health, though, was not defined, and therapeutic abortion committees weren't given any specific guidelines. Um, so it was really up to the doctors on the committee to decide what it meant for somebody's health to be compromised or their life to be in danger. Um, so what we saw kind of through, well, not what we saw, I wasn't alive. <laughs> what people saw um, through the 60s and 70s and 80s um, was that the interpretation of the 1969 law varied widely between doctors and hospitals, which led to super uneven access. Um, so only one third of hospitals had a therapeutic abortion committee at one point. Um, and some committees took a really liberal stance where they allowed almost all requests, and some blocked all requests. It really depended on the hospital and the doctors involved. Um, so access to legal abortion then was still really, really, really difficult, especially if you lived outside of a city. Um, in the province of Prince Edward Island, for example, uh, the Therapeutic Abortion Committee shut down in 1982, and that's why there were no legal abortions on the island until very, very recently. Right, right. Um, therapeutic abortion committees often took days or weeks to make their decision, which could then push you into an area where you could no, you were no longer eligible. Women were not seen by the committee, and if they denied your request for access, there was no way to appeal the decision. What a nightmare. Yes, a very big nightmare. And actually, during this time period in Canada, many women and people traveled to the States to mm -hmm. access abortion yeah. because it was easier. Yeah. And I imagine these therapeutic abortion panels are staffed with mostly men, if Often. not exclusively. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it really depended. I mean, we've heard um, lived experience of folks who did access abortion through therapeutic abortion committees. And for example, in one case, one story that we, we received was somebody who there was their colleagues. Oh. So... The idea that you may be in that community and that your colleagues might be the doctors sitting on this committee, and that adds a whole other layer of, of barriers to, to accessing abortion at the time. Mm -hmm. So after the 1988 Morgenthaler decision, therapeutic abortion committees were completely abandoned because they were just too deeply flawed. It didn't work, and it wasn't actually um, giving people the access to abortions that they were supposed to be receiving. Um, so after 1988... Any delay or barrier, according to this decision, um, would put women or people at a risk of physical harm and could cause harm to their psychological integrity. So part of the decision actually talks about barriers to abortion and access issues as being integral to somebody's um, right to security of the person, which is guaranteed under the Canada's, Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Um, so there should be no barriers in Canada under the current system and law, but, or lack of law, <laughs> but that's just not the case. Right. 
So you are clearly very well educated on all things abortion, which is awesome. And your role as social media coordinator for ARC involves communicating that information to the public. What kind of backlash do you get from having a public social media presence about abortion? We get a lot of different kinds of backlash. One of the things that I want to say that I was actually quite surprised by when I took on this role um, was that there's less backlash than I anticipated, which is lovely. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had moments, days and weeks sometimes, where, say, an anti-abortion organization will target us and suggest or recommend that their followers comment um, on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And in those instances we've had very violent and scary messages. Um, But that doesn't happen all that often. Mm -hmm. What we get more of are questions. Um, People who aren't sure where they stand, people who just really need more information because there's not a lot of great education about abortion out there because of things like stigma. Um, So a lot of folks come to the ARC social media pages to get more information and resources. So while we do often receive hateful, violent death threats (laughs) um, and annoyed comments or someone who will just come on and be like, abortion is murder, you know, you're like, okay, James from the United States, thanks. (laughs) But like, we just delete them and move on. We don't debate with them. We don't get involved in, you know, we don't engage with them. We delete them, we ban them, and we spend our energy focused on people who have real questions, who are trying to educate themselves and who actually need the resources that we have available. So yeah, I was really just kind of surprised that there's much more support than there is hate, which I don't know why I was surprised by because statistically <laughs> that's the case in Canada, right? Like we are right, a pro-choice right. nation. Yep. Um, Percentage-wise, more people agree that abortion should be accessible than not. So that is reflected in the kind of engagement that we get, although we've definitely gotten some some doozies in the past. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> the last question I wanted to ask is to touch briefly on something that came up just recently, right, I think the day or two before we are recording this podcast, where there's been another round of anti-choice focus on a clinic in Fredericton known as Clinic 554. What's going on there? Clinic 554 is a medical health clinic in Fredericton, New Brunswick. It's often described as a quote-unquote private abortion clinic. It's not. Um, They provide abortions. They are abortion providers, but they also do general family health. Um, They do a lot of really, really, really important work around trans health as well um, and are often for a lot of people the only resource for um, if you're transitioning um, or you need a specific kind of health care based on being transgendered, they offer that. Um, So they're a really, really, really important health resource in the province. But because they provide abortions, they are under attack for all the time. Right. One of the things that is unique about New Brunswick, as opposed to other provinces, is that we still have some holdover from these old, like, 1969 uh, policy changes. So in New Brunswick, only abortions that are provided in hospitals are covered by New Brunswick Medicare. Because Clinic 554 is not a hospital, abortions provided there are not covered by the province. 
but we don't have that many hospitals in the province that actually provide abortions. So a lot of folks end up going to Clinic 554 because they don't want to wait very long, because it's closer, or because they know it's going to be a safe, feminist, anti-racist, trans-friendly space. Um, So Clinic 554 has been in this kind of very contested position um, where the medical services that they're providing are not reimbursed by the province. Um, They're kind of constantly under threat of closing because of the expenses of running a clinic that isn't being reimbursed. Um, This year, a couple months ago, they announced that they might they would have to sell the building and close the practice unless the province started to cover abortions in clinics. Um, So on top of being really under a lot of financial pressure because of the services that they opt to provide, um, Clinic 554 is always the target of anti-abortion organizations and folks who think there should be more regulations, um, that New Brunswick should not cover abortions in clinics or cover them at all anywhere. Um, So recently, just a couple of days ago, um, We Need a Law came out with a position paper on abortion access in New Brunswick, which specifically targeted Clinic 554. Um, And what this does is it it makes it seem or it constructs abortion provision as something outside of regular medical care, and it's just simply not. There's no reason to have a position paper on Clinic 554 or abortion access unless it is a position paper about how to lessen <laughs> barriers to abortion. Right. We don't need a law. It's unsafe to have a law. And further regulating abortion does not stop abortion. It just makes it unsafe and unhealthy. Um, So we often see these kind of concerted attempts to attack the legitimacy of Clinic 554 or just abortion access in general um, by these organizations. And they have lawyers who do it. So these kinds of organizations that put out these position papers or these uh, quote-unquote legal resources about why there needs to be a law and why we need to regulate abortion have a lot of influence over, say, for example, the anti-abortion politicians they've recruited to run in elections. Um, So it's really dangerous. And a lot of it is just based on inaccuracies um, and stigma. You know, one of the things that was in this recent position paper was that why should New Brunswick cover abortion access over mental health resources? Well, we shouldn't necessarily have to choose, should we? I mean, abortion access is a mental health resource for many people. Mm -hmm. Abortion is a mental health issue. Someone who is forced to carry a pregnancy to term is not going to be experiencing wonderful mental health. Um, So this idea that we need to pick and choose is is really inaccurate and dangerous, and it pits, or it tries to pit. I don't think they're successful in doing this, but it tries to pit abortion access against other necessary medical resources when in fact they're all connected and they're all healthcare. Um, So yeah, so Clinic 554 is a really great organization. They do super important work in the province. Um, They're always looking for volunteers. You can find them on Facebook. They have a great website. You can donate, you can fundraise. Um, And if you live in New Brunswick or outside of New Brunswick, that is a really great way to get involved in abortion rights and access work if you're interested in, in getting involved. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing all this really important information with us on the podcast. And thanks also for bringing up the links between mental health and abortion. The next episode of Do We Know Things, I'll delve into the research around mental health and psychological outcomes after abortion. So thank you so much for joining me today on Do We Know Things. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. (laughs) 
Thank you to Tasia Alexopoulos for coming on the show today to share her wisdom. You can find her on social media at ARC, the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle is Abortion Rights Coalition Can. You can also find out more about ARC, learn more about abortion, and make a donation on their website at arcc-cdac.ca. All music and sounds in this episode are by Jeremy Dahl. You can check him out at paleblue.ca. Script assistance by Matt Tunnicliffe. And I'm Lisa Don Hamilton. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at DoWeKnowThings, and you can email me at DoWeKnowThings at gmail.com. Of course, I would love it if you could subscribe and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time on Do We Know Things. We'll be right back.